And hey, good day to you. Welcome to the Trade Show Guy Monday Morning Coffee for September 25th, 2017. I'm Tim Patterson, Trade Show Guy. I got a book out, The Trade Show Success, 14 Proven Steps to Take Your Trade Show Marketing to the Next Level. You can get that free, the digital version, at uh, Trade Show Book. <laughs> I can't even remember. Uh, TradeshowSuccessBook.com. There you go. Uh, you can also find it on Amazon. I'm a blogger at TradeshowGuyBlog.com. And uh, my main thing that consumes my time is that I'm a project manager for the company Trade Show Guy Exhibits, which is a company I founded uh, several years back. So on today's video blog slash podcast, I wanted to check in with Mel White. He's the VP of Business Development at Classic Exhibits to talk about a few things, including rental exhibits and some updates to their exhibit design search, one of the greatest uh, exhibit finding tools you'll ever find online. Uh, link in the show notes. Classic Exhibits has been the go-to partner for us here at Trade Show Guy Exhibits for a long time, and they're a great strategic partner. Uh, one thing I like about working with them is that they are never satisfied with where they are at any moment. They're always looking to come up with more uh, creative ideas, more fun products that help exhibitors do a better job of working with their clients at trade shows. So here is the conversation I had recently with Mel about all that. I'm speaking today with uh, Mel White, uh, VP of Business Development at Classic Exhibits. And Mel, I, I want to speak to you today about booth rentals. I know we've, we've spoken a couple times about this in the past. It's, it's a fun topic. I know it's one of your favorites uh, because there's a lot of misconceptions. There's a lot of changes. Uh, we've had clients come and find something on the exhibit design search that's, that's in the purchase only uh, area. And they say, can we rent this? And it turns out, well, Probably so. And so let's start from there, uh, you know, about your exhibit design search. You know, you guys have been doing some changes with that lately, we have as you some, always are. <laughs> yes. So um, one of the things we've done is, is historically we've kept purchases in one part of exhibit design search and rentals in another portion of it. But what we've done now is we've kind of commingled them. So we've taken a lot of the rentals, a lot of the purchase exhibits, and now we price them so that you can see right up front this is the purchase price. This is the rental price. At this point, there's about 100 kits that have both purchase and rental prices right there up front. Now, we're certainly willing, as you indicated, Tim, we're certainly willing to have conversations with anybody about can this particular kit be a rental, even if it's not listed as a rental. But uh, it, it is, it's, 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 so, it's so wide open right now, and rentals are so different than they were in the past in that, that most people, us included, are willing to customize just about anything in order to make the, in, to ensure that the rental um, conforms to exactly what their trade show marketing needs are. Is that because customization is just much easier than it used to be and you don't have to like fit to a certain, you know, form as it were? Is it just, it just becomes easier, cheaper? I'm not sure what the, what would drive that uh, industry that way. I don't think it's any easier. I think it, it it's a situation where more customers are requesting customization. Um, the fewer people are wanting things that are just off the shelf, so to speak. Um, they want they they want personalization. I mean, in everything, it's not just trade show exhibits, but you know, everything we do, we want things personalized to our needs. And the exhibit industry is finally starting to react to that. Why would a company want to rent versus buy? Uh, you know, I mean, I can think of a number of reasons, but what what do you hear? Um, the one reason I hear, well, there, as you said, Tim, there's a number of reasons. One, they may not have the budget to purchase, and a rental can be anywhere from a half to a third of the price of a purchase, at least for the second or the third one. 
<clears throat> but a lot of reason anymore is because we do customization, people just don't want to own it. They don't want, they, they, they don't see the value in owning the same exhibit with the same look for two or three years. They don't want to own it and they want to make changes from show to show and having a rental exhibit gives them that flexibility to make changes um, you know, from show to show and even going from a 10 foot exhibit to a, an island exhibit um, depending on what their needs are. And one of the, of course, rules of thumb that we've heard for years in this industry, uh, you and I both talked about this, is that uh, if you're going to rent something after about the second or third rental, you've paid for it. Is that accurate or is there more involved in that? It really is accurate. And it used to be a driver, but it's less of a driver now. People understand that, yes, if I rent long term on this um, over a series of years, it's going to cost me more. But, um, but it's not as important. Now, because I'd much rather have the flexibility of changing things up, and frankly, I don't want to store it or I don't want the storage expense, I'd rather have the flexibility, the options of doing something different, even if it's going to be a little bit more. I don't know if there's a sweet spot for an exhibitor that would make sense to rent, but uh, I do have a client in, in Manhattan that rents a booth for a couple of shows every summer and fall, and they have no place to store it. They don't go to a lot of shows. They're small shows. And so renting makes the most sense for them. Mm-hmm. And then I've got clients that really want to have the same dominating look that, that is, is only gotten by a custom booth uh, at the same big shows every year. And for maybe the smaller shows, they'll have a, just a smaller uh, unit or a smaller version of it. But the, again, there's no real sweet spot, it seems like. But those seems to be the categories that, that the rentals, uh, that choice is made. It is, but it's not even either or anymore. I mean, there are a number of clients that do own booths that own a booth, but let's say they own an island and they go to a couple small shows and they just don't want to buy the 10 by 10 or 10 by 20 islands. They'll rent the inlines for those particular shows, but take the island that they own. The other portion is, and this is not uncommon either, is that they'll own part of the structure of the island. Right. But the peripheral, the accessories around it, they don't own, um, and they rent those. One year, they may decide they want this type of counter versus the workstation versus the charging station, any of those. They rent all of those items. So there's, again, I mean, it's not as black and white as it used to be. Yeah, and and, uh, that's exactly what I was going to get to. We have a client that has a large island, but they have counters, which are rentals, and they've indicated now they they think that after they've had them for a couple of shows, they they want to go ahead and purchase them so that they have that as part of their package. They know what they're getting into just because they know it works for them. They don't want to pay for it as a rental four, five, six, seven times. They just want to purchase it once, and then they've got it. So again, every company's got a little different approach um, to, to renting. Yeah, there is a little bit of a mis, uh, misunderstanding too, because people, when they, when in this day and age where most of the graphics are attention fabric graphics, when people buy the exhibit, they think, okay, I've made the, the, the major purchase, I'm fine for the next two or three shows. But the reality is, and you and I have experienced this time and time again, they get to the next show and they change all the graphics. They change all the graphics, they, yeah, yeah. And they get to the show after that and they change all the graphics. So at that point, they really are making, they're altering things up. And the only thing that stays consistent is the structure. And the structure is not that big of the expense in many of the more modern trade show exhibits. Yeah. And the graphics, I mean, if they're, if they're the larger, what's very common these days, the larger backlit, the light box versions, uh, they really dominate. And so changing the graphics can virtually change the look and feel of the booth uh, with, with, from t- show to show very drastically. Exactly. So, 
Uh, let's talk about Exhibit Design Search a little bit. I know that that's uh, one of your favorite tools to talk about. You've given seminars and webinars and things like that. Uh, what Other than the, you know, you're co-mingling some of the rentals versus uh, the purchase units in there so people can see that in there, what else is, is going on in there? Well, I think the big thing that's going on is that um, we continue to refine the My Gallery tool. The My Gallery tool is the ability to save kits or save designs, save articles, and save photos um, within My Gallery and be able to send those particular items to, in your case, to your clients or for our clients to send those to folks within their, in, within their own organization. Um, and the nice thing about it is it gives it gives people a chance to not only just see one portion, not just one portion of trade show marketing, which is the exhibit, but also be able to see photos of what other people have done and to learn a lot more about trade show marketing through these articles and through your advice and, and certainly um, the, the information that you put out to yeah, exactly. And and one thing I really love about Exhibit Design Search is that uh, you can drill down to so many different things. If people have a budget, you can drill down to a lower budget or a high budget, uh, the size, and you can show so many different things uh, very quickly and very easily. And and a lot of, of people that I talk to have never seen it before. And so when they look at it, they go, oh, yeah, this is uh, this is great. And frankly, sometimes it's a little overwhelming because yeah. there, <laughs> there is a lot of stuff there. But uh, again, I'm still finding that, oh, yeah, I, there are articles in there that I can share, and I don't think of that much because that's not my main purpose of using it, but there's that. And then, of course, the the past five days, all of the, the pictures of things that actually go through your shop and to see what things actually look like and what they've been customized from uh, a kit or something that has something a little bit different from what the renderings would, would present. One of the things that I encourage people, especially on the photos, is to look what other people have done and kind of learn from how they've done graphics because most graphic designers don't spend a lot of time in 3D design. They're designing websites, they're designing print articles, but as far as 3D design, that they may only do that once a year. They may only do that three or four times in their lifetime. And going to the photos and seeing what other people have done really is a great educational tool so they can get closer to where they need to go on the exhibit that they're, they're working on. Well, it's just like walking through a trade show floor. You see what other people do, and you, you can snap some quick pictures of, of ideas. Uh, I mean, to give you some thought starters when, if you're looking for a new booth, it's the same thing as going through all of the stuff that goes through your shop. It, it's just a good way to, to get the conversation going to say, oh, I didn't even think of that. We could do that. Mm -hmm. Oh, we could do that. Uh, I think that's one of the, the, the most useful things of what that particular element is, as well as all of the different designs uh, that, are present, uh, that are there in the uh, exhibit design search. Well, I think what's interesting, too, as far as graphic design is on an exhibit, you end up learning what not to put on it and how to limit and how to get um, high impact without having a lot of text, without having multiple images, um, and even where what goes up high and what goes up low and what goes up in the middle. And I don't think you, you, you ever understand that without seeing examples. Yeah. And one more thing I just want to touch on uh, before we, we wrap this up is that uh, graphics that are printed on fabric, uh, the technology has come so far in the last five years. C could you address that just a little bit? I'm, I'm curious to know what, because it's been probably a few months since we've talked about it. What's changed? <laughs> well, I'm not sure a lot has changed except that the resolution continues to get better and better. We yeah. see it all the time on the floor that it's near photographic right now, that direct print graphics, other than small graphics, it doesn't make any sense to do kind of large print graphics on anything but fabric. And when you look at it, the biggest jump really is in the backlighting of it. 
that that was always a little bit of struggle. Some, some things that were printed that were red, by the time they were backlit, they turned a little pink. Um, now what we're seeing is they've gotten to the point that a red is a red and a green is a green. Um, as long as you indicate what you want the PMS color is, they will compensate for the backlighting to make sure it's exactly what you want. So the color is more true and the lighting behind it, uh, the LEDs, the cost, I believe, has dropped as well as the efficiency and the, the, the whatever you call the looms, the lumens that, that, that light the whole thing up. Uh, it's just brighter and, and more effective. It's just, it's, it's stunning stuff. It really is. Well, it, it, and it's not only brighter, it's just that the, the durability of those fixtures and those lights, um, you know, they'll last, they'll, they'll last much longer than you will ever need those lights to last. <laughs> yes. Most of those have an, a, 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 a illumination life of like 50,000 hours. Wow. Uh, Mel, it's been fun talking to you. Did I mention when we set this up, because I may not have, that you could share one good thing to wrap up our podcast? I didn't mention that, did I? You did not mention that. Oh, um, man. Well, uh, can you think of one good thing? It could be a book. It could be a place you went. It could be something you did over the summer. It could be a movie you went to that you think, you know, I remember this. I, I, I'd like to share that. So if there's anything that comes to mind, and there's no, no penalty if, if you don't, mm -hmm. so. <laughs> I would think that it, it, you, you, I will say the, the most exciting thing that happened to me this summer was going to Salem and witnessing the eclipse. Ah, um, the the Salem Volcanoes baseball game at nine in the morning. That was that's uh, right. They did that. Yeah, my wife is a Girl Scout leader, and she took the girls, and we went down there, and it was a once in a lifetime event um, to be able to experience it with with them um, and see totality for over two minutes at a baseball game at a baseball game it was probably close and, to sold out and, and with a bunch of folks from nasa who who gave all these these great powerpoint presentations about what was going to happen oh very cool very cool mel it's been great talking to you i appreciate it thank you so much thank you tim always a pleasure thanks again to mel white at classic exhibits for that uh, great and fun conversation uh today's trade show tip Know exactly how you're going to collect that lead generation information when you're at the trade show, when those visitors come to your booth. You know, there's no right way. There's no wrong way. There's just the way that works best for you. If you're very digitally inclined, you've got a way to do that. You're scanning badges. You know where that information is going. Uh, maybe you use an electronic system such as an iPad. Others get by just fine with a notebook or even writing notes on the back of business cards. Whatever your method uh, the best practices for lead generation would include the following. Make sure you get name and contact information. Duh. Uh, product or service they're interested in. Uh, Follow-up. When and what is involved and what kind of follow-up is it? Is it in person? Is it on the phone? Is it via email? And make sure that you both agree as to exactly what happens next and when. Then there's no surprises. There's no uh, mutual mystification. And finally, uh, I want to close out this uh, show with one good thing. Uh, Steely Dan has been on my mind a lot these days. Um, you may have heard that uh, Walter Becker of Steely Dan passed away earlier this month at the young age of just 67 uh, with his songwriting musical partner Donald Fagan. The two came out of Bard College in the late 60s and early 70s and created the iconic duo Steely Dan. The band, a lot of studio musicians along with the main two songwriters and musicians. Now, as a young musician myself uh, who loved good music and loved to hear it on the radio, it didn't get much better than Steely Dan. In fact, you know, I can confidently uh, say that for at least a decade from my late teens to probably my early 30s, I had Steely Dan's catalog on high rotation in my house. Really good stuff. Uh, so, hey, 
play some Steely Dan for yourself today. And uh, have a great week.